0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A couple of years ago, my wife and I took a vacation. We went to a quaint spot by a mountain village, and we just relaxed. And... Um, while we were there on vacation, I got into something that I had heard about, but I had never practiced. It's called the nap. (laughs) Taking a nap. And I found myself in the afternoon taking a nap, and sometimes even taking two naps. And I realized, I haven't taken enough of these things in my life. And after a few days of this behavior, I found myself breathing differently walking differently, thinking differently. My thoughts became clear. Creative juices and energy started flowing again. Life was just better. We have been studying the Ten Commandments. It's God's foundational truths to make life better. And in the Ten Commandments, we discovered the fourth commandment, the tender commandment. The tender commandment from a compassionate God saying, In your vocation, take a vacation once a week. And we notice that this, along with the others, are commandments. They're not ten suggestions, not ten proposals, not ten great ideas, if you'd like to, but they are ten commandments. And whenever we follow God's commandments, we find ourselves more satisfied, happier, better. Because holiness is always the key to happiness. There was, um, there was an Orthodox rabbi who decided that he would play golf on the Sabbath. So there he was, playing golf on the Sabbath, and the angel Gabriel saw it, and he told God, as if God didn't know. So we got a rabbi playing golf on the Sabbath day. I suggest we strike him dead with lightning. And the Lord said, No, I have a much better idea. Just then the rabbi swung his golf club and hit that ball straight down the fairway 420 yards. It bounced on the green, rolled into the cup for a hole in one. And he was ecstatic. He was whooping it up and so excited. And Gabriel said, Hey, God, what gives? I thought you were going to punish him. But God said, I did. Who's he going to (laughs) tell? That poor rabbi breaking the Sabbath isn't about to tell somebody that he was golfing on the Sabbath day. (laughs) Now we've been studying last week, and we continue this week, four verses. Verse 8 through 11. Let's look at those again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hollowed it. I know that this commandment is controversial with some folks. I understand and I realize that Many have viewed this commandment through the lens of tradition. I'm just going to urge that today you open up your ears and your heart to the Scripture because we're to take our cues not from what we've always done or how we've always seen it or what we've always thought, but we want to take all of our cues for any practice from Scripture. Charles Spurgeon used to tell his congregation, but especially his students of ministry, that they become so immersed in Bible truth that in his words, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord so that your blood is bibline and the very essence of the Bible flows from you. So let's do that. Let's let's dig a little bit deeper into this commandment. Let's discover its truths. Why is this commandment so important? Why is the Sabbath rest so important? Why is it so important to set a safeguard around a day? Why is it so vital to communicate that to associates and colleagues hands off? This is a special day. And more than that, or on top of that, who changed the Sabbath day? What about Sunday versus Saturday? Is Sunday a 4th century conspiracy to eradicate the Saturday Sabbath? We're going to look at those and hopefully answer that this morning. You'll notice that this commandment is the longest of all of the Ten Commandments. That is, it's not only a commandment, but there's more supplemental material four verses that are attached to it. I counted them, 98 words in total. It's the longest of all the commandments. So we took half of it last week and half of it this week. We discovered in the first two verses the balance between vacation and vocation. We discovered that a rest is commanded. And we're to remember the Sabbath and what it means to remember the Sabbath, but how that over time became misconstrued by New Testament times. And then we discovered also in verse 9 that it implies not only a rest, but you've got to rest from something. So you work hard, diligently, productively the rest of the week. Today we continue with this, and we want to look at a sort of a clarification, an explanation, if you will. In verse 10, the, the rest is clarified, amplified, explained, and then the reason for this commandment is given in verse 11. So... I know we've read through it, but would you look more carefully at the 10th verse? It says, But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, female servant, pets, etc. In other words, take a break. That's really what the Sabbath means. Shabbat means stop, cease, quit, take an intermission, chill out, unplug, veg out. It means just stop doing something. As David will say in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why does he do that? To restore my soul. That's why he does that. So, it means that you stop doing, on this day, what you always do the other six days. It's that six-in-one agreement. This is a different day. Don't work. Now, in hearing last week's message, and even what I just shared just now, some are thinking this, Well, Skip, I agree with that in concept in principle that sounds pretty good but but skip you don't understand i'm in a busy season of my life that's the reason i've taken 47 other jobs i just got to get a little ahead got to get those bills under control i've got to put bread on the table well that's interesting because in exodus 16 god gave bread from heaven so that they could put bread on the table And he said, go out and get it for six days, but not on the seventh day. Get twice as much on the sixth and have enough for the seventh, but on the seventh, just hang out and enjoy. But there was a person, in fact, a small group who decided, let's go out on the seventh day anyway. Let's get ahead. Let's get ahead of the curb. Let's do a little bit extra. And they went out there on the seventh day to get manna, get bread, put it on their table. And it says in the Bible, they found nothing. Now you might be thinking, well, that certainly doesn't describe me because those extra jobs that I've been doing and that working extra hard, boy, has it really been paying off. Bonus checks are coming in, getting the bigger house, faster car, all the toys. Life's good. But I venture to say that in the end, you will find that it amounts to nothing. It amounts to nothing. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things in that verse where it's explained, verse 10, the rest is clarified. You'll discover that the Sabbath is good for you. And first of all, it's it's just good for you physically. There's sort of an emphasis underlying the text. The word you, your, is used repetitively. You shall work, but on this day you shall not work, you nor your son nor your daughter. In other words, this is God's caring for you. God cares for you. Jesus said, The Sabbath was made for man. Not man, for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a gift. It's a benefit that God gives to us. God said a few thousand years ago what production analysts are now finally figuring out. They say, quote, work breaks increase productivity. After 40 hours of work, concentration levels drop, mistakes increase, and morale goes down. So God knew what he was talking about. This is good for you physically. Now, I'm sort of ashamed to say it, but among Christian workers, gospel workers, pastors ministers, missionaries, there is sort of this unwritten code that overwork is next to godliness. And I've heard this statement that I'm about to make from more than a few. It goes like this, I'd rather burn out for God than rust out. Ladies and gentlemen, that's stupid. Think about it. Either way, you're out. Whether you burn out or rust out, you're out. Isn't the whole point to stay in? And the reason God put this commandment in the Ten is so that you'd stay in and not get out, burn out or rust out. And the way you stay in is take time off so that when you get back in, you'll last longer. And even the Lord Jesus knew this and practiced it. There was a time that the disciples came to Jesus in Mark 6... We read, "...the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to Him all they had done and all they had taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, He said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, boys... You're doing great work, great preaching. Go take a break. Get some rest. So renewal and restoration are not luxuries. They're necessities. Taking a day off, taking a vacation off, isn't carnal and sinful. It's Christ-like and spiritual. So the Sabbath is good for you physically. Something else to notice in verse 10, the Sabbath is good for you relationally. Notice, you take it off, your son, your daughter, your employees, maidservants, male servants, all those that are attached to you relationally because the Sabbath is good for you relationally. A lot of articles have been written about what Americans have been involved in the last several years, the rat race, And uh, one such article is from a Scientific American. The author is Yuri Broffenbrenner, who writes, The demands of a job that claim mealtimes, evenings, and weekends, as well as days, trips and moves necessary to get ahead or simply to hold one's own, the increasing time spent commuting, entertaining, going out, meeting social and community obligations... All of these produce a situation in which a child often spends more time with a passive babysitter than with a participating parent. You know, I have talked to a lot of parents throughout my ministry and I've seen parents from young parents all the way to aged and dying parents, my own included It's interesting, I have never yet heard a parent at the end of his or her life bemoan spending too much time with their children. I've never heard of a parent on a deathbed going, one regret I have is I spent too much time with my kids. I gave too much of my time to my family. Now I've heard a lot of regrets on the other side. Not enough time, not enough quality or quantity time. And when you live life at full bore something's got to give. And you know what usually does give? Relationships. Relationships. There was a young man being sentenced to a state penitentiary for a crime. The judge knew the boy since he was a little kid. And the judge knew the boy's father. In fact, the boy's father was a famous lawyer who had written the classic book, um, a, a, a legal scholarly work. But he was a very busy man. The judge knew that too. So there's the young man before the judge and the judge says to the young man, son, you remember your father, don't you? He says, of course, your honor, I remember him quite well. And then to probe the young man's conscience, the judge said, now, son, as you're about to be sentenced and as you think back to your wonderful dad, what memory comes up most clearly to you. And there was a long pause. And the young man said to the judge, Well, I remember going to him for advice. He looked up from the book that he was writing and said, Run along, boy. I'm busy. And when I went to him for companionship, he turned me away saying, I've got to finish this book. Your Honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as a lost friend. The judge understood in that moment crystal clear what had happened. And the judge muttered under his breath, Finish the book, but lost the boy. Finish the book, but lost the boy. This commandment is to benefit you and to benefit me. It's good for you physically. It's good for you relationally. And more than that, it's good for you spiritually. Notice what it is called in our text. It is called the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You know that when you take a day and you do what the Bible says, you rest, you relax, you rejuvenate, you rekindle, what you're saying is you're acknowledging that He is the Lord your God. In effect, you're saying, Lord, I acknowledge that whatever I have isn't because of my own intellectual business prowess and my own work ethic, but it's because of you. You're my provider, and I'm going to prove that to myself and to my family by honoring you. And you know how you prove it? By stopping. By stopping. Because if you don't, in effect, what you're saying is that you worship yourself, not the Lord your God. It's all pride. You're proving that you acknowledge He is your Lord by saying, this day I stop. Now, it's sort of like the tithe. Many people will say, oh, all that I have belongs to the Lord, but they never tithe. Those are just empty words. Now, have you seen the bumper sticker that says, honk if you love Jesus? You've seen that, haven't you, over the years? There's one out there. I don't know if you've seen this one, but it is a bumper sticker. I read it. It says, Tithe, if you love Jesus, any idiot can honk. (laughs) Because the tithe proves everything I have belongs to the Lord. And what the tithe does monetarily, the Sabbath does in terms of your time. Everything, every moment I have belongs to the Lord, and I trust Him as my provider. So this rest is explained and clarified in verse 10. Now the reason for the whole commandment is given. Verse 11. Here's why you're Here to do it. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. That's pretty good work, isn't it? Six 24-hour periods to make all that. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. So God worked six days and then he was done. He rested. Okay. When you read the Lord rested on the seventh day, does that mean God was pooped? Did God go, man, those elephants, they took it out of me. Those whales painting the zebra's stripes. I'm pooped. No, it doesn't mean he was pooped. It just means enough was enough. He was done. God could have certainly kept creating, right, on the seventh day and the eighth day and the ninth day and the tenth day and the 35th day and the 4,363rd day. But imagine how crowded this earth would be. It's simply saying, I'm done now. Enough is enough. Here's the point. Yes, you can keep on being productive if you don't take a break. And keep on being creative. But when is enough enough? When are you just done with that? And so the point of verse 11 is, the Lord took six days and did what he did and he rested. And and the point is this, like father, like son. If tireless omnipotence knew when to quit, how about frail, limited humanity? enough is enough. God could have made other worlds. God could have populated other planets. There's no indication in the Bible that he did. He stopped. And one of the hardest things to do is to stop. One of the hardest things to do is to practice Psalm 46, which I think beautifully sums up the purpose of the Sabbath, it says, be still and know that I am God. That's what it is. Be still and know that I am God. So the Sabbath is more than just stopping work, but starting worship. It's where you're still enough to realize and to honor the Lord your God. You call it a day of holy leisure. Holy leisure. The idea is more than just rejuvenation of the body, but the renewal of the spirit, the revitalization of the soul. Now, we have sort of skirted around this issue, and you're probably thinking, okay, Skip, when are you going to get to the real fun stuff here? What, what is the proper day to worship? Is it the seventh day? Is Saturday a Jewish Sabbath, part of the covenant God made with the Jews? Or is it for Christians to keep as well? And if Christians are to keep the Sabbath day, how are they to keep it? The Saturday Sabbath. And if they are, what about Sunday? What about the Lord's day? Are those two different days to be celebrated two different ways? When did the Sabbath change to Sunday? You want to know what the answer is? It never changed. It never changed. The Sabbath has always been Saturday and will always be Saturday. Now hold on to your hats. Strict Sabbatarians, those who make a big deal out of Saturday, will accuse those of us who meet on Sunday as being pagan worshipers, saying, well, don't they know that Sunday is the pagan day that the sun God was worshipped on? Sunday is worshipping the sun God. Of course, they don't want to admit that Saturday comes from the Latin Saturnus, where the planet Saturn was worshipped by the pagans. That's just a convenient thing to leave out. Moreover, strict Sabbatarians will say what really happened is in the 4th century, in fact, in 321 AD, Constantine changed the Sabbath to Sunday. That's when it all started. And then they'll say in 364 AD, the Council of Laodicea declared that Sunday was a day of worship. Well, there's a little bit of truth and a little bit of falsehood in those statements. Let me separate them. There was a Council of Laodicea. They did say that Sunday was a day to worship God, but they did not change the Sabbath. They never eradicated the Sabbath. That wasn't the point. They just said Sunday is a day to worship God. And Constantine didn't change the Sabbath. Why do Christians meet on Sunday? What are we celebrating? The resurrection. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, history tells us the facts. I'm going to take you back before Constantine. This is a quote from Justin Martyr, 140 A.D., quite a bit further back. Quote, Sunday is the day in which we all hold our common assembly because it is the first day in which God, having wrought a change in darkness... Made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. Let me take you back even further. This is 120 A.D. The epistle of Barnabas, who was an Alexandrian Messianic Jew, quote, we keep the eighth day with joyfulness. The eighth day being the first day, because there's only seven. Eight is the number of new beginnings, or the start of the week again. We keep the eighth day with joyfulness for on that day that is when Jesus rose again. I'll take you back even further. 110 AD Ignatius said of believers they are no longer observing the Sabbath but living according to the Lord's day by which our life sprung from him and by his death. I'll take you back even further. There was a document circulating between 90 and 80 AD called the Didache. The Didache was dubbed the teaching of the 12 apostles in which it is written, On the day of our Lord's resurrection, which is the Lord's day, we meet more diligently. Now all of these historical quotes that I just gave you predate Constantine by at least 180 to 240 years so it wasn't a fourth century conspiracy to change and eradicate Saturday Sabbath never changed point is Christians met on Sunday the Lord's day to celebrate the resurrection but all that aside all the history stuff anybody can quote history let's go back even further what does the Bible say Well, the Bible tells us that there was already changes occurring outside of Jerusalem, especially in Gentile areas like Troas, when Paul was going back toward Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, they were already getting together to break bread on the first day of the week. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his sermon message until midnight. You think you have it rough? They had to sit there all day and all night. Don't worry. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. The apostle says, On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Why? Why should they do it on the first day of the week? It's obvious. That was the day they met together. The Lord's Day. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 10, John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a voice as of a trumpet speaking with me. What's the Lord's Day? That's the day the church met. And it was a common practice already by that time. So here it is all together. Here's the synthesis of it. The seventh day commemorates and celebrates a finished creation. The first day celebrates and commemorates a finished redemption. The seventh day celebrates and commemorates Egypt being sprung from their slavery in Egypt. The first day celebrates and commemorates the victory of Jesus Christ over death by his resurrection. So, final question is, well then, is the Sabbath New Testament? Is it for Christians? The answer is yes and no. Allow me to explain. The concept is New Testament. The day is irrelevant. The concept is New Testament. The day is not. Here's why. First of all, We don't exactly know when Saturday is. You say, well, yeah, sure I do. Yes, Saturday was yesterday. No, it wasn't. Everybody who has studied chronology will tell you that the calendar has changed a few different times so that presently today, and I'm not being funny here, they'll tell you, we don't know if this really is the, yesterday really was the seventh day and this is the first day. This might be Tuesday. We don't know. Calendar has gotten away from us. Number two, this fourth commandment is the only commandment of them all that is non-moral and purely ceremonial. All of their commandments are repeated, um, expanded, reiterated in some form or fashion throughout the New Testament. But not this one. And third, that sort of plays on that. There is no explicit New Testament command to keep the Saturday Sabbath. Jesus didn't say, oh, and by the way, make sure when I leave that you keep the Saturday Sabbath. In fact, isn't it interesting that when the church did get together to figure out what they ought to do and not do in Acts chapter 15, remember the council of Jerusalem, there were these people getting saved who weren't keeping the laws of Moses. And so finally the church deliberated and said, tell them this. Tell them to stay away from things that have been polluted by idols, sexual immorality, things strangled, and from blood. If they do this, they do well. They didn't say, oh yeah, P.S., keep the Sabbath day. That wasn't even mentioned in that letter. Nor does Paul in any of his epistles say that as well. There is no explicit New Testament command to keep the Saturday Sabbath. But there's a whole lot of scriptures to say it doesn't matter. Here's one. I don't know if have time for all of them, but here's one. Romans chapter 14. It says this, and I'm quoting. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Before his own master does he rise and fall, and God is able to make him stand. For one man esteems one day of the week over all the other days. Another man esteems all of the days alike. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. That's what it says. This is what it means. Here's a person who says, Saturday is the only day to worship. Great. Are you fully convinced in your own mind? God bless you. Well, no, he's wrong. I'm right. Sunday, that's the only day to honor and worship God. You fully convinced in your own mind? Great. God bless you. I, on the other hand, am fully convinced in my own mind to worship God Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. All the days. To me, they're all alike. Since I don't know what day is today, the calendar has changed. I'll worship God every day. That's what I'm fully convinced in my own mind. Now I'm going to have you turn and we'll close right here with this one text of Scripture. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. New Testament. Begins with a C. Now I know you know where it is. Colossians chapter 2. Would you turn there with me and we'll we'll close here. As you're turning there, Paul is saying, look, Jesus Christ died on the cross. He is the preeminent one. He's the one who holds all things together. He's the one who fulfills all things. And so in chapter 2 of Colossians, verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, here's the conclusion. So, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or what? Sabbaths. So, I believe that. Somebody wants to lay a trip on me about Saturday, I won't let them judge me. I don't receive it. You get mad all you want. I don't receive it. I won't let you judge me when it comes to Sabbaths. Now, this statement cannot be said of any of the other commandments. He didn't say, let no man judge you when it comes to murdering people. Because that's really not the big issue. Or let nobody judge you when it comes to committing adultery. But here it says, don't let anybody judge you when it comes to the Sabbath. And here's why. Look what it says in the next verse which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The Sabbath is a what? It's a shadow. Shadow of what? The real thing. And that's Jesus Christ. If I came home in the evening and I stood there in the driveway and my my body cast a shadow by the sun on the driveway, how weird would it be for someone like my wife to come up to my shadow? And saying, I'm so glad you're home. And start hugging the shadow. I'd say, "Uh, over here, the substance is here. That's just the shadow. The real rest, the Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews chapter 4, is Jesus Christ. Not the day. Don't adore the day and miss the point. And the point is Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law and is our Sabbath rest. So the point isn't Saturday. The point is you have a relationship with Christ. Today you might be the well-rested, most well-rested person in the state of New Mexico. Physically. You might come here going, great sermon, I believe it all. In fact, I don't take one day. I take four days off a week. I'm very rested But if you're physically rested, you might be still spiritually restless because you haven't rested in the finished work of Christ. What a great commandment. Obey it. In the midst of your vocation, take a vacation. You hear about the two guys who were chopping wood. They challenged each other to a contest. Who, much, who could chop the most wood in one day? Both of them went at it from morning till evening. Only one guy took a very short lunch break, but he chopped all day. The other guy took frequent breaks, seemed to rest a lot during the day, and then go back to it. At the end of the day, the guy that took the most breaks, won, chopped more wood. And the guy who worked all day was wiping the sweat from his brow and go, I don't get it. Every time I turn around, you're sitting around resting. And he said, what you didn't see is that while I was resting, I was sharpening my axe. And that's what the day of rest will do for you. It'll keep you sharp so that you can continue working for the Lord the way we ought to work for Him. Well, I trust, I hope, that your rest is in Jesus Christ. If not, come to rest in His finished work. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You that we've been able to spend two solid days Lord's days straight, examining this one commandment. We've looked at what it means to remember the Sabbath. We've noticed your emphasis on a day of rest, but also the six days of work and being productive and being hardworking and leaving that kind of a witness. We've then seen it explained and amplified what it exactly means and why it's good for us. And finally, why we're to do it. Because there comes a point when enough is enough and there are things that are more important than just getting more things or being more creative and more productive. So Lord, we want to prove that to you and to our families by, by resting and saying that you're our provider. You're our Lord. I pray for anybody here who has come to this service who doesn't personally know Christ and hasn't come to rest in the finished once and for all work On the cross, I pray, Lord, that they would come to know Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.